Hello everyone, it's Chris from The Full 40 with Chris and Rob. Want to wish everyone a merry belated Christmas and a happy holiday season uh, and I hope everyone has a happy new year. Welcome to a special edition of The Full 40 where I will be interviewing JD. Durkin Rob is not here. Uh, he's on vacation with his wife, so this is a solo shot. It's the first time we're trying anything like this, so bear with us a little bit. Uh, but this interview is excellent. Uh, Wide-ranging, long, extended. Um, there's a point in time where if you're only interested in basketball content, you can cut it off and I'll call it out mid-podcast. Uh, but this is really an excellent one. It's very exciting stuff. Uh, so thank you for listening. Again, Merry Christmas from Chris and Rob of the Full 40. And now I'll pass it over to Jim Nance to get us started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, except it's not with Rob this time. Rob's not here. He's on vacation with his wife. Wasn't allowed to join the podcast. I can say that because, as we all know, his wife, Nicole, still hasn't listened to the podcast. Never. Never. And that voice you just heard is J.D. Durkin, a friend of the pod, a friend of both Rob and I, a former roommate, actually, True. who has a very interesting career. And we're going to get into everything that is JD, full blowout interview in, <laughs> oh, just, everything, but yeah. in just a little bit. Um, but first, a little bit of homework that we have to do um, to set the stage here. We had two podcasts that I hope you listened to following the Kansas game. It was an amazing experience that Rob and I had. Um, we released two back-to-back. Check them both out. They're both fun. Um, we apologize to our listeners. Rob, in particular, was very drunk by the end of the second one. But that happens. That's that's how it goes. It probably should be. Yeah. You know? And then we said that we wouldn't be able to do a UConn. We did a UConn preview, but we wouldn't be able to do a full UConn breakdown mm-hmm. Uh, just because Rob is traveling with the holiday and everything. So apologies to our listeners that we weren't able to do a full breakdown, but I'll do a little one right here. The UConn game was terrific, especially the second half. It was funny. It was like the tale of two halves. I was going to say, it's the tale of two halves. Yeah, the first half looked like Villanova of how this team's looked so far this year. And the second half The UPenn Villanova. Yeah, the UPenn Villanova. And the second half looked like 2018 Villanova. Yeah, they are. Which was wonderful, and it was nice Mm -hmm. to see that. So, um, of course, Javon Quinterly, big game, big coming out party, Mm -hmm. so to speak. He had a good game against, like, Canisius down in uh, Florida for the Turkey Tournament, but this was the full welcome to the team Javon Quinterly was awesome to see that, and then it was also awesome um, that he was able to get that playing time. Unfortunately, it was because Colin Gillespie was in concussion protocol, um, which we later found out we think was because Javon Quinterly actually in practice hit him over the head, not intentionally, of right. course, or or so, so we, we think. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. Right, right. Or so we. But think. did he though? No, yeah. No, no. Right. Right. No, we would never insinuate that. Of course not. Yes. Yeah. He just hit him with a folding chair. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, as a, you have, but that always happens that, in practice. Yeah, yeah. It's in the things. Look, it's Jay's part of the practice, course in basketball. Take out a folding chair, get yeah, down to business. You know yeah, what I'm saying? exactly. Jay, Jay's practices are rough and tumble. Everyone knows. And that. you know, sometimes chairs get thrown around. It and you know, it's WWE type environment. Augustinian and, values, really. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. So, Colin, get well soon. I'm sure it'll be good by the DePaul game on the second. We're in a lull now. We this are. is a this is a very long period off. I think this is going to be very productive for the team. I think we actually saw that coming out of the the week long break from the Kansas game to the UConn game. Mm-hmm. And I think most years I want the team to keep playing to keep getting those game reps. This team needs practice time, mm-hmm. and I think getting those reps in practice, a little break for Christmas, and then some breaks. Um, and um, and then some break to do some real practicing in advance of the DePaul game, which is a week from today's recording. We're recording it's uh, Wednesday, December twenty sixth. So that's your take. You like the breaks because you say they need because other teams are saying, "Hey, no, get out there and ball on the court." Because game experience, nothing replaces game experience. No. But you like the time off because you say, "Get your head on straight, focus a bit in practice. Hopefully, avoid the flying folding chairs." Right. But exactly. hopefully you'll come out with yeah. a bit of a better... Yeah, so yeah, do your best to not get concussed. Good. But, of course, yeah, avoid the flying folding chairs. Yeah. But I do think that the practicing is is particularly important for this year's team. Mm-hmm. This year's team mm-hmm. is still struggling with the switching defense. It's still struggling with some of the offensive flow and the rhythm and the floor spacing and etc. So... I do think that the more practice time, the practice reps will be productive uh, for this particular unit. If this was last year's team, I would have been flipping out right now. That we're just not getting enough reps in this long extended break. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way with this team in the slightest. Nice. Yeah. Also, there's no game over the holiday, so they can't lose over the holiday and piss me off. So this, this is true. That's partially it. Too. So it's nice to go into this break with a uh, at least a big second half performance. And yes. You can win. Yeah. So you can you can enjoy Christmas. You can enjoy New Year's. Thank God, you Penn was not the last game before the break. Oh my goodness, that, that was imagine? just the, the, the taste left in our mouth. Yeah, I could have, I could deal with the Kansas game being the last game, sure, because it was an incredible experience. And you look number one in the country at that time. Now I think they're like top, they're still top five. Mm-hmm. I could have dealt with losing to them. I thought we were going to get blown out, and we didn't. So it was a good, it was a good game. And I thought Jay called a great game down in Lawrence. So anyway. That's all we got here, um, and we'll be back after the DePaul game, more fuller breakdown, mm-hmm. look into the Big East and what's coming up, and we can establish, we'll reestablish our regular cadence of dropping on Sunday evenings or Monday mm-hmm. mornings. Um, the holidays get a little bit screwed up, and obviously if anything else comes, we'll bring special podcasts to you um, as necessary. But it happened. Did you go to the UConn game? We did not. I did not. I had a wedding. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, so because it's fun to watch the cats play at the garden. I love watching. It's so fun, I, isn't it? Yeah. To that point, we were saying if you're a college basketball fan, the last podcast go to Lawrence, Kansas, mm-hmm. because it's amazing. If you're a Big East Villanova fan, watching them in MSG is almost more fun than the Wells Fargo Center it's or Gasp the Finn. Um, right. So. But the alumni base, the students travel so well in New York. Yeah. So many people have, have gone to school on the main line, have moved to New York for finance or various fields. I love those games. The energy oh. is always amazing. Oh, the energy, yeah. The, the energy is great. And especially and Jay since, knows it too. Yes. Yeah. And especially since the dawn of the new Big East, Villanova has almost commandeered MSG as a third home. Yeah. 
Good point. Um, more than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was awesome. The from what I hear is that the crowd was very lively. Here there was some good Let's Go Nova chants going throughout the crowd. Yeah. I'm sure the second half got everyone. Got the blood flowing pretty good. Right. Um, as good as a Let's Go Nova chant can be when Chris Bellotti is not in the house. That's fair. Right? That's fair. All right, come on. That's fair. Did you invent every Villanova chant? <laughs> I don't think I could lay claim to inventing a uh, Let's you know, Go Nova chant. I don't chant. know. I, I've very ne- creative. I've never seen evidence to the contrary, so I don't know. Right. For all I know, you invented everything that happens with Villanova back. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got in terms of homework. Uh, so... Now we're going to break it down and talk to J.D. Durkin, um, who is a journalist with Cheddar yep. and spends most of his time down in D.C. Mm-hmm. covering uh, both at the White House and on Capitol Hill. Um, you can find him on, on Cheddar, wherever Cheddar is, now on DirecTV. You got it, my man. Apparently. You got the announcement. There yeah. you go. Yeah, so so apparently now on DirecTV, but mostly um, web-based Mm-hmm. Programming, right, right, right. What's known as OTT, okay, which is digital distribution platform. So things like Roku and uh, Hulu, YouTube TV. The idea of the company essentially being uh, your average viewership for traditional cable news is well in their sixties, and we are a nice financial news offering for typically financial savvy millennials, people in their twenties and thirties who are no longer watching news on the cord they are cord cutters right and that's kind of where we have uh that's where you come in and the company's doing very well it's grown every year right since Mm -hmm. its inception when did it when did shutter launch oh we've only been our first broadcast was maybe a little over two years ago not quite two and a half i don't think Mm. so it's a, a a lot of growth to now have eight hours a day on the regular network a second network which is now called cheddar news or cheddar big news which is a non-financial focus, just like a headline news base. Right. And then acquisition this year of what was formerly MTVU, which is now Cheddar U, 625 college campuses. Oh, awesome. In residence halls, student centers, dorms, that whole nine. Okay. mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's awesome to hear of these. So these these companies are, you're not the only one. No. Right? So I know you have some competitors, but it's awesome to hear that there's these news offerings transitioning to a platform that will cater to the next generation of people who are going to care about finance, politics, etc., yeah. off of the kind of the older, I don't want to say, but aging uh, media, right. um, even television, etc. For sure. And I will say, we are far less stuffy. I, I have amazing colleagues in the industry who work for CNBC, who work for Bloomberg, who work for CNN, uh, who work for MSNBC and for Fox News, and they're all tremendous but we do not nearly take ourselves as seriously. We're very I mean, we we work. It's our a asses serious off. news organization. Of course, organization. it is, and you have to approach it like that. But man, when we're on air, we definitely know how to have fun, which is a yeah. really nice balance. A different there. tone. Yes. Right. Right. Different point of view, and I think there are many ways that set us apart in the space. But that's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. That I know I can go on, and I have a lot of leeway with what I can say. Right. Which is nice. So you can follow JD at Jive Durkey. You got it on Twitter. And on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very MySpace active. no longer. My, no MySpace? <laughs> no MySpace. Oh, man. Dude, no SoundCloud, sure. no MySpace, man. <laughs> no. You got to make sure you're covering all Those the are the main ones, but Twitter is Twitter's like, an, it's, such an, it's such an addiction. Like, yeah. I've done interviews where people are like, what's the one app you could not live without? And it's not even a question. Right. It's Twitter number one, and then all the other apps are way down the well, list. Well, especially in D.C. in this pol- ter- current political environment. Yeah. 
You, there's no way you could turn Twitter off and be like a reputable journalist. No, never. Do you have to have constant Twitter notifications on your phone to right. know what's happening? Right. I don't know what so, it's doing for my mental state. <laughs> no, but it's, it's different. Great journalism, though, right. comes out of it for whatever it's worth. Right. So this is all interesting. So I want to get into how you got there. Yeah. But for our listeners here on the podcast who are coming here listening to a Villanova basketball, basketball. podcast. That's what it's all about, baby. Right? And we're kind of similar to Cheddar in that regard in that we don't take ourselves so seriously, don't get into the stat heads, don't go into excessive break game breakdowns mm-hmm. with the Villanova fans' perspective on Villanova basketball and Villanova basketball culture, and of course, Villanova University and its mm-hmm. alumni as a whole is kind of our overall angle, mm-hmm. so to speak, on this podcast. But it's a Villanova basketball podcast when it comes down to it. So we have to establish kind of your Villanova basketball credentials. I'm here for it, man. Yeah. So JD is 2009 grad. That's correct. Final four here. This is correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's just start right there. Yeah. Um, JD did a, had a wonderful road trip. It was great. Um, out to Detroit. Yeah. Uh, for the final four. Drove through, had, uh, drove through Cleveland, drove through Ohio. Ohio takes a long time to drive through, man. That's what I remember very well about that. <laughs> Pennsylvania is even longer. It takes a long time. Yeah, those two <laughs> states kind of blend together for sure. So Incredible experience. I'd never done anything like that. Yeah. And the thing I remember the most was how affordable they make Final Four tickets if you're a student at the school. Right. Because we all paid like $20, $21, and it got you tickets to all three Final Four games. So we had the Michigan State Villanova game. Uh, and then we had the other game on the well, Saturday the UNC night. Villanova game. Oh, the UN- oh yes. Michigan yeah. State was the other game Michigan who made State the final Monday UConn. night. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Michigan State played Monday night. They were the hometown favorites, more or less. Right. Did you stay the whole weekend? We stayed the whole weekend. Okay, so you you went to the championship. We're like, win or lose, we want to stay for Monday night. Yeah. Right. Do okay. the weekend in Detroit, experience the championship game, get on the road back to campus at some point after that if we can. <laughs> well, at that point, we were seniors, so it's not like school really matters. But the whole debate was for people who went was like, okay, well, if Villanova wins... Uh, uh, the first game, we want to go back and be on campus if they play Monday night. That was the big debate. So right. everyone in Detroit was like, are you going to stay or are you going to go? Didn't matter because Villanova did not play very well in that <laughs> game. They did not win. It was over pretty early, but I'm glad we stayed. That year we played a team of destiny and that UNC team oh, was... Totally. Well, the UNC 09 team is actually draws a lot of comparisons to the 18 team, the Villa 18 Villanova team last year. In that this team just it, that team ran over everybody mm-hmm. on its pathway to the championship, right. as did we. It was a so, great year. So it's interesting that you mentioned that that was the debate in Detroit. Yeah, I had that debate earlier in the week, and I right. decided to stay on campus. You stayed on campus for the entire weekend. Yes, you did. Thinking to myself, I want to be on. I want to be at campus if if we win. Which I can't. I don't want to say was a controversy, but was such a discussion point on campus, like. Bilotti would be nowhere near things, and every conversation on campus I felt like also had to do with, oh yeah, and by the way, did you know Bilotti's staying? Chris <laughs> Bilotti, you know that guy Bilotti? He's staying, on, he's not going to Detroit, he's staying. And I feel like that made some people second guess whether or not they wanted to go. Because they're like, well, Bilotti's staying, maybe I should be staying. Because he's like the standard bearer of Villanova basketball. Oh my goodness. Year. That's how it was. I remember it very well, man. That is so, so much of an overreach. This is how I remember it. I don't know. Well-placed <laughs> sources are telling me that's yeah. how it was, so I can't, can't question my sources. Yeah, 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 you got sources. It was remarkable, yeah. And I do remember more or less being with you in the Connolly Center, and I guess I think you were in the group with us, um, the night of the Elite Eight. The Elite Eight game Tinder, versus yeah. Pitt. Right. Um, so we had friends who went to that game, and they said it was an unforgettable experience to go. Of course. It was an unforgettable experience to be on campus. That's part of what drove my decision to stay. Right. 
But I also understood why anyone would want to go. Crowding the corner of Ithin, blocking oh off all, all sense of a semblance of traffic. Like, oh, I'm sorry, were you trying to drive the main line today? <laughs> no, no. Try again in two days when the drunk students clear out the, the yeah, corner yeah. of Ithin and Lancaster. I remember very vividly with that game after the pick game when we mm-hmm. won, when we were in the we were at that corner of Lancaster and Ithin, and the students were being very respectful. Of course, is that we were we. People were partying on the corners of the streets, mm-hmm. letting the traffic go by, and then when right. the bird chirped, everyone <laughs> ran into the center. And it was it was back and forth uh, for a the while. Chirp, the and, chirp, and then yes, at some point, everyone said, "Fuck this! I'm not doing of this." Of course, why would we? Do and, that? and we're just gonna stay in the middle. It's so funny you said the chirp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's yeah. what that light does. Yes. When you walk up from South Campus, it chirped. Everyone was going back in, back, back out, back in, back out, and then at one point, everyone just stayed in. Stayed in. And then there were. Cars all over the place honking their horns, being like, let us through, let us through, let us through. I vividly remember someone parking, um, getting to that red light, was like the first car at the light, and was just so annoyed. They were honking and honking and honking. And then you saw the defeat. They stopped honking. And then at some point in time, I remember someone literally got out of the car and then Mm. ran into the group and started jumping up and down with everyone as well. That's very funny. But the funny thing is, I look back at that, and I always thought, for so many years, from then until 2016, that was the bragging point, that we were seniors the year they went to the Final Four. Yeah. Right? There was this always sense of, like, man, we got there our year. We had 85 before we were born. Right. And then we had our year. Oh, And then, of course, the last few years have completely... Blown that way open. It's but way open. We love to throw that in other classes' faces. Oh, for, we were like, well, we were the final four year. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, what you called it. We're the best year that ever graduated from Villanova. And right. then the 2016 class we promptly there, took like, that away. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. But not so promptly, because we had those it, several, we had a it, while. It took a while. Where it was a bragging point. Um, so it's still something I find myself referencing in conversation with other Villanova alums to say, oh yeah, 09, the final the four, four year. <laughs> it's just now you got younger guy, younger students who are like, the championship year, and then the second championship year. Yeah. And I can't really compare to those. That's true. I wonder if 2016 and 2018 grad. So we know that this team had it out on Twitter and Instagram about who was better, 16 or 18. So fun. We know the team was doing that. But I wonder if, like, the actual class years, if their friends, like, Mm -hmm. go back and forth and debate as who's the better year, et cetera. Yeah, of course. Um, It's still funny because I've talked to some 85 grads, and they always bring that. Oh, yeah, 85. That was the title year. I don't know if you've heard. Oh, my God, of course. Yeah. So establish it a little bit more. Tell me, um, so like, so like you obviously graduated with me. You've been a fan ever since. We watched the Kansas game here at this apartment um, in sixteen. Yeah, we were going bananas, bonkers. Yeah, right. Um, but establish a little bit more Villanova basketball credentials for our listeners. Yeah, totally. Well, listen, I'm the first to admit I gr- I grew up a huge uh, college basketball fan, but my team was Seton Hall Pirates. That's true. You went to Seton Hall Prep. Seton Hall Prep. I'm a North Jersey product. Okay. And uh, love the hall, you know, to a fair degree, where my mother and I would go to would go to occasional games. Well, they made a Final Four when you were young, right? Young. I want to say 94. I mean, I, maybe I don't have that year quite right, but somewhere around there. So you're a Seton Hall fan. I definitely was, yeah. But, I, <laughs> but it was never a consideration for me to be like... Uh, like I want to go to Seton Hall. I don't want to go to Seton Hall. Like no, I want to go to Seton Hall University. I was kind of like, no, hell, no, definitely not. Um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't take very long as soon as you go to, to a school like Villanova to say, well, then this is the team. You know, yeah, I yeah, believe right. this. I believe the school. Um, so that was incredible. But I mean, look, I mean, for the years we were there, that you come in and you are taught so early on from orientation and from your first steps on campus what the program means to the university. And how it becomes interwoven into the fabric of what it means to be a student there and become a part of this community. 
And then, I mean, like the rest of us, after school, you know, I've lived in different cities. I've bounced around, but that's always been the through line. When I lived in Los Angeles, it was, well, down in Hermosa Beach is where the group of Villanova students gets together because the time change on Saturday mornings to watch a game. So we're meeting at a bar at like 9 a.m. used to be called the North End, I believe. It was owned by a Villanova alum. Okay. It was a gr- right on the beach in Hermosa, so it's like the South Bay below the city. But like an amazing group of Villanova grads would get together on Saturday mornings and start boozing. Not a very good team that year, though, when I lived there. So yeah, we yeah, watched right. a lot of bad games right. in like the years after we finished school. Yeah, those teams oh. crapped out both yeah. of those years. Of course. Yeah. Awful. Uh, but then, but of course, since in the years since then, and then also being able to still go to games, I've still gone with Rob. One of my favorite games was Archie Diakono's freshman year. Oh, yeah. Syracuse on a Saturday. Sandra, Rob, and I drove down. And I don't know if you were still living down there. I was living there, but I had work. That's what I remember. I think right. you were still down there. Yeah, I was. And we drove down, and this is a game where Archie Diakono, this freshman kid who no one could pronounce his name, had taken like 10 shots from behind the arc, had maybe made one or none of them, and then with just milliseconds left, down by three for some reason, they let the kid shoot it up again, and thank God he hit that shot. And we went to overtime, and Syracuse was ranked. And they'd also they just were like beaten, number one or, no, or top five. They were top they were five. Top five. They'd also just beaten West Virginia a couple days before that, right. who had also been ranked. So that was like the ultimate week on an otherwise really bad year. Louisville. Louisville, I think you're talking about. Oh, maybe yeah, it was Louisville, yeah. yeah. But those back games, back. Yeah. those games kind of got the program back going right. in a direction that ultimately culminated with the Absolutely. national championship. Archie Diakono's shot became this, like, despite a really poor season. This little tiny iconic moment of like, oh wow, this kid just brought the place to its feet. Right. Like this play, the play, the building is shaking right now because we tied Syracuse. Archie Diacono never lacked for uh, balls. No, <laughs> yeah. no. I was like, kid, you haven't hit a damn shot all day. What Don't you- shoot the damn ball. What are you doing? <laughs> and Thank God he did, man. Him. Thank God he did. Uh, yeah, and of course, and look, since the years since, I've, I've been so you know, like all of us are. He's so incredibly proud since 2016. To so, be a part of this. So do you have any funny, like, Villanova basketball memories? I got a lot I definitely can't talk about, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, as probably do you and some of them are shared. You know, it's one I always remember is one of my earliest ones because, and I'll say this because of the recent UConn game, which was when our freshman year, UConn was like the team. Right. This was the rivalry. Right, right. We it were was, talking about that incredible. game on the last podcast. It was huge. Yeah. Oh, the, our, the, the one our freshman year. You talking freshman year. Right. Yeah, yeah. Down at, uh, I don't even know if it was called the Wells. Oh, wait. It was the Wachovia Center. Wachovia Center. That's what it was called. Yeah, right. Because that was the bank on campus, too. Yeah, right. It was Wachovia before it was Wells Fargo. Correct. And then the whole minor thing, financial crisis, happened, and then it became the Wells Fargo Center. Right. That but little thing. Minor. Minor thing yeah <laughs> i remember the yukon man this game was bonkers man people were like skipping class and like no i was paying attention but i went with a bunch of guys from moriarty i lived in motown freshman year which if any listeners of the pod know is like this tiny little it's like where they stuff the freshman rejects <laughs> who are like well they don't make they didn't make it into south campus so they're not living in stanford they're not even good enough for the fedigan wing it's the last like not- 55 jabronis Let's just throw them in this random building, put them next to public safety. You're in your own little house. No DeLorean, no Dwyer. Not even close to being good enough. We're going to shove you over on the (laughs) the bad side next to public safety. Like across the street from Campus Corner, you're in your own world. But I went with a bunch of uh, of Moriarty guys, and this was right after... You remember the name Marcus Williams from UConn? Yes, yes. Stole laptops. Laptop stealers. There was a theft subplot of drama to the UConn team. Right. And wouldn't you know it that the Villanova guys were trying to, the fans were trying to take advantage of So I went with no fewer than three, I went with a big group, but three guys had these orange jumpsuits, prison jumpsuits that they wore. 
Now, this was a cold fucking day, man. This was right. a cold day. Right. But because of the way we were, it's like show up to the Wachovia Center and wait. Mm-hmm. Right? Get there and just hold your damn spot. Like passing around the drinks. We're all like whatever. And so I'm with this well, big fucking... Of, of like water and soda because you were... Water, the, soda, Gatorade. Yeah, the low 21. The electrolyte thing. Right, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. It's clearly what I'm referencing. Right. And we're just we're waiting there for fucking hours to get into this thing. And then I want to say, like, within, like, 20 minutes before they open the door, a security guard comes out and says, by the way, the three of you wearing orange jumpsuits, you can't get in wearing that. And we're like, wait, I wasn't wearing one, but, like, this is our whole group of buddies who we came here with. They're yeah. like, you can't wear that into the arena. <laughs> so now, like, my dumbass friends are sitting there, massive orange jumpsuits. They've, like, personalized spray-painted Marcus Williams' name on the back. Oh, like, my goodness. they had plans to fuck with him the whole game. Like, that's why they wanted to get early to, like, right. crowd for a spot and, like, get in the kid's head. And they were forced to strip down. And my one friend, Steven, was like legitimately wearing a pair of boxers. And he had to go inside and we had to go with him. So we ended up not getting a good spot because he had to go in and I had to go with him to go buy a pair of Villanova basketball shorts at the gift shop. Or like at the thing at the arena. So these guys had to go. They had to toss out the orange jumpsuits, these prison suits that they ordered online, which was like the shining achievement. Moriarty was so proud. We're like, we're sending three of these goofy asses in these orange jumpsuits look for them on television they had to change they couldn't wear them into the game so where'd you end up how far up were you in the the it wasn't that far but um certainly not i mean we had ambitions to be like right on the court that's not the way it played out right by the time you go to the gift shop to buy an emergency set of clothes because your prison jumpsuit got (laughs) tossed out like right before you enter the wachovia center who knew that the security guards would not be fans. You could have just walked across the street to the link and picked up additional jumpsuits that, because yeah, they have a prison in that building. Yes, they do. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. For the uh, for the uh, the snowball hurlers at Santa. You could have also said that we're here for the Flyers. Big Flyers fans love the orange. Yeah. That's what right. we're here for. So right. they're like, yeah, you got the name of a Yukon kid on the back of your shirt. Good try. Yeah, I don't think the Flyers have a guy named Marcus Williams. Yeah, who team. is this? Yeah, no, probably not. Um, so that was one of the, the earlier ones. And I always think about that game because that's because we were freshmen and it was you know our first year and it's like wow this program is pretty incredible. Yeah, it was. I mean, we stormed the court. Yeah, it was. It was wild. The storming of the court is controversial to this day because people still say not an upset. Is right. that why or what's your yeah yeah, yeah right? Because it's four versus like, one. Four we versus talked about it on the last podcast, but yeah. I'm not going to get into it again. But we stormed the court. It was awesome. I had a great time. It was great. Yeah. Um, so. That's a great story. I yeah. never knew that. The orange jumpsuits were yeah. not allowed. But man, <laughs> did people try. Oh, oh God, because of Marcus Williams. Yeah. To mess well, up. We, we chanted, like, where's my laptop <laughs> at the game. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was both students' Ruthless. Section. It was ruthless. Ruthless. But that's was... the way it was, man. And that's the way I learned it. Yeah. Uh, so I always loved that. That was a fun one early on. All right. So let's take it. It's about 25 minutes or so into the podcast. Let's take a little bit of break. I have a word from Nova Insider, who's our part, who's our official podcast partner. Then we'll be back after. Got to listen to the partner. Yeah, after the uh, one minute break, and we'll get further into the interview with JD. Hello, everyone. It's Chris from the Full Forty with Chris and Rob, brought to you by Nova Insider. Just want to give a special shout out to our official podcast partner, which is Nova Insider. Check out their website, NovaInsider1985.com. They got some awesome gear. Also, look out. We're going to do a special collaboration with them for a Full 40 podcast t-shirt brought to you by Nova Insider. Look out for them. They got a lot of awesome stuff coming down the pike in the very near future. Stay tuned. It's going to be exciting. 
And as always, let's go Nova. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Full 40 with Chris and JD. Not Rob Dormish. Not Rob Dormish. Sorry, with, Dormo. With Chris and not Rob Dormish. That's it. Um, with uh, with JD Durkin, who is joining us as a special interview podcast. So thanks for listening to the first half, and we're happy to be back. Um, as I mentioned in the first half of the podcast, JD is a – what's the official title? Title now is DC Bureau Chief. DC Bureau Chief. Yes, um, but it has been correspondent and reporter in many things. Yeah, right. Covering the, the swamp. The swamp is it swamp, ever swampy? Swamping it up down in Jeez. DC has not uh, been drained, from what I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> not quite yet, anyway. So we're doing best to avoid politics. Totally. Because this is a, a good non-political lesson. podcast, right? But right, JD's career is in this is in this field, covering the White House, covering Capitol Hill, etc. Right. So we got to talk about that. I want to mm-hmm. I want to know a little bit more about that. So first of all, mm-hmm. when the team was making the run, obviously behind the scenes you develop a rapport, right, with certain with certain members of government, mm-hmm. with certain people. It, it, both at the White House and on Capitol Hill. I'm sure you developed good relationships with some senators and, and people in the cabinet. And did anyone like make any comments to you during the title run last year or or any during Villanova games, etc.? Does anyone like get into that? Is anyone is any senators or anyone like mix it up in terms of college basketball? You know, I remember a bit with Bob Casey's the Pennsylvania senator. Yeah. He had some he kinda chirped about it a little bit. Um, but for the vast majority of time, it wasn't necessarily something that was overly talked about. Right. Um, but as, as we've discussed before, though, the White House, you know, the White House invitation to a team that wins a national championship is always a highly yeah. contested story. Yeah. I wanted to get into that. Yeah. So I guess we'll just dive right in. So in 2016, we won the national championship. And within about a month and a half, two months, we went and visited uh, former President Barack Obama. Mm-hmm in the White House, and it was this big deal. I remember, it was awesome to watch. You yeah. had the presentation of the jersey, the jersey with the, the 44 on He's it. making jokes about Jenkins. Yeah. He and, calls yeah. Chris Jenkins big smooth, big smooth the whole nine yards. Right. And then, obviously, it's a d- different political environment right now. Bit. But we went in 2018, and Rob actually, I know we were talking about this before we came on, Rob and I did a podcast after winning the national championship where we talked about the fact of, like, what are we going to do if we get the invitation to go. Right. And it turns out that invitation never came. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little bit more about kind of like what happened with that? I, I remember the very the, the morning after the, the championship this year, I, I went right into uh, lower press, which is the, the White House press shop is basically divided to what we kind of refer to lower press and upper press. Upper press is Bill Shine, the communications director, Sarah Sanders, White House press secretary, some of the, the more visible people. Mm-hmm. They're bigger offices, but they're literally up a ramp. So it's literally a, kind of a second floor you walk up. And lower press tend to be some more of the, the press deputies, people like Hogan Gidley and uh, Lindsey Walters. They are also press secretaries. They are a bit less visible, but they still officially speak on the capacity of the president, okay. the office of the presidency. And the very the first day was kind of like you know I was working my sources there and saying hey let me know the first day after the championship the very next day right. let me know when an invitation goes because I was like I'm sitting here being like I'm sitting pretty I'm the I'm the hinge here between both sides you know what I mean <laughs> right. I had already uh, within a few days after that I was talking to people at the school at the university mm-hmm. who'd be familiar with those conversations about what an invitation would look like. And I recognized a lot, you know, you know, as a reporter, when 
someone you're trying to get information from does not want to talk about that subject. Right. It becomes very obvious okay. from the lack of transparency, the lack of response or kind of shiftiness in answers. Talk around it, try 100%. and avoid it. Right. Focus right. on other things instead. Right. It became really clear to me pretty early on there was not going to be an, an invitation from Donald Trump to the Villanova basketball team. Okay. Was there any, did you get any news behind? Like, what was behind that? I know, obviously, the there hasn't been many invitations right. that have been going out. I think he met with the Cubs. Uh, no, it wasn't the Cubs. It was... Um, I think he met with the Astros. Yes, I could definitely. Altuve was definitely at the White House, and he did not staring down the president. Right, and he did not have um, one with the NFL. Did the Eagles go? I don't think they did. Um, But there have been some. But the Golden State Warriors was really the big controversy, and that was very similar timing. Yeah, very much so. Now this was an issue where uh, you know this president has. This is a this is a tough world for this president because he has established, I would say, a very intentional precedent for. I mean, we know the the man likes to attack critics. There's just no doubt. And if you speak ill of him, he is not going to hesitate to throw a punch. And he doesn't matter against if it's uh, right. LeBron James or it's whatever. And I got the sense that um, there would be specifically certain sports and teams that the president would be less interested in kind of entertaining because right. he had fallen under a ton of criticism from basketball players. Right. Um, because the of NBA controversial in particular comments. is quite critical of him. He had the NFL with the kneeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and you didn't really see that trickle down with college sports as much, but... Correct. Because college sports naturally are going to be a little bit more... It was an extension of a lot of those same divisive areas of controversy. Right. And that's kind of what I recognized it a lot. From my gauge, I would argue that the White House said, well, we could avoid some shit. We could avoid kind of problems here. We could avoid setting the president up for embarrassment, which is another thing. When, imagine being, you're in the office of the presidency and you extend an invitation to come to the White House and you get denied. Right. The egg on the face of the president is so embarrassing. And this is a man who does not like to be embarrassed. No. So my sense was like, well, we could sidestep an issue before it becomes an issue and focus on other things. Mm-hmm. And that is what this White House chose to do and chose not to move forward with an issue. Not to mention, it's as much as we all love college basketball here and the national championship and the Final Four are as big a spectacles as they come, mm-hmm. the NBA and the NFL and the professional sports and even college football are a little bit, I would say, like on a another level of attention and media attention. Um, And visibility. Right, visibility. So it's almost like we don't even need to create anything and no one's going to ever ask about it because it's college basketball and people might not care. Totally. And I will say I was probably the only member of the White House press corps pushing them hard to say, but when are the Villanova Wildcats going to be getting an invitation? Right? It was not exactly the hot topic of conversation. There are so many other issues the president faces down. So ultimately, at the end of the day, I was not surprised that the team did not get an invite. I'll say I think there was, if I could separate my objective work as a reporter in just a personal capacity, uh, I was personally disappointed. I would have loved to work that day when Jay and the kid, you know, Jay and the guys were there. I mean, you know, it is such an honor. My friend Caitlin uh, down there, Caitlin Collins with CNN, she's an Alabama alum. She lives for Alabama football, and she got to be there covering. Um, you know, when the when the Crimson Tide got to go, well, because it it's the coolest thing for her. It's it's one of those rare occasions where your favorite college sports team and your career can intersect, and they're there at the place they show up to the place where you work, right? Which is for my 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 office is most days the White House, right? Uh, and so I, I really personally would have loved to have Jay and Father Peter and 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 the team there. So I understand your disappointment. Yeah. 
personal opinion yeah. is, and again, not getting into politics, I kind of am glad they didn't get invited. Sure. Reason being is that, so look, I don't think I'm saying anything earth shattering when I say Villanova is not the most diverse campus that's ever existed on this planet. Sure. Right. But one thing Villanova does not lack is political diversity. So a lot of universities um, have a reputation, at least, of being one-sided politically. Um, and by the way, that goes that cuts both ways. It's mostly to the left, uh, but it cuts both ways. There's some very extremely conservative or religious institutions sure. um, that have very uh, right-leaning mm-hmm. uh, college campuses. Um, liberty comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Villanova actually has good political diversity. I know people on the, what I call, further to the right, Mm -hmm. and I know people who are quite far to the left. Definitely. um, Who are both alum and students of the university. Um, And then there's everything in between. I would say most Villanova people Mm -hmm. um, would probably be more relatively moderate, whether it moderately left, moderately right, etc. And again, no opinions on whether what's wrong, right, or indifferent. Uh, but I find that Villanova alum and students mm-hmm. actually span the political spectrum quite yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of this president um, and the level and tone around politics in general, this president or not, whatever, the tone around politics right now in this country, either decision, either way, one way or the other, either if we got the invitation and decided to go Mm -hmm. or if we got the invitation and decided not to go would have been met with extreme furor on one side or the other by some people and and i'm sure that father peter's office would have gotten angry calls from donors and non-donors and students etc and the villanovan what have you alike beating him one way or the other beating not him but like Beating the university administration, threatening not to donate the next year. Right, one way or the other. So, no invitation, no fanfare. I kind of think was actually no problem. No problem. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right, and we got to enjoy our championship. And I do think that championship. It wouldn't have been sullied because nothing can take a championship away. But there would have been like one black eye that we didn't need on Mm -hmm. this championship run because it was so wonderful. The people on the team were so wonderful. The culture, the program was so championed. Jay Wright is going to be a Hall of Famer as a result. And the whole nine yards, Mm -hmm. that this is one major thing that we didn't need to worry about and have a Twitter spat over it. And, get you know, the last thing we need is Donald Trump sending a tweet being like, no invitation, F you guys, whatever. Villanova, putting the spotlight on. Now you're part of the national conversation in ways you do not want the school talked about. Correct, especially in a time when the university is continuing to climb the national attention radar. I mean, we saw that thing a couple weeks ago where apparently on Google – where is Villanova University was the most popular where is question ah, of nice. 2018. Interesting. So it's a good thing it's where is Villanova and no, not why did Villanova not go or go to Correct. the White House. Right. What nickname did Donald Trump give Villanova? Right? <laughs> yeah. You don't want that, right? Yeah, he yeah. called Jay Wright. What on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's Ex- nice not to exactly, have Exactly. Exactly. No, I agree. It's well said. It definitely is. Uh, and there's definitely something to be said about that. And uh, as much as it is a part of... Uh, what championship winning teams get to do to enjoy part of that process, and it certainly is a privilege, and I think Jay would say that. It's a it's a privilege regardless of who the person is because of the office and because of the building and because of the history there. I, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah. So I think that was a really interesting discussion. And with that, 
I'm going to pause here uh, to allow any listeners who are purely looking for Villanova basketball content to drop off. Because as a fair warning, the rest of the content of an extended episode is not purely Villanova basketball related. However, I highly recommend it. It is an excellent interview, wide ranging about JD's career so far. And it's really, really interesting stuff. So stick around if you want. If not, thanks. And as always, let's go Nova. And for those of you who are sticking around, I'll see you on the flip side. I want to take now, I want to like kind of sidestep that. I want to, I want to kind of like Tarantino this a little bit and find out how you got to Cheddar in the White House. Tarantino. Because, because here's what I know. Okay. We graduated, (laughs) I think it was May 17th, 2009. That's about right. Right. And May eighteenth, two thousand nine, I was in a car. We're coming driving up on ten you. years, by the way. Yeah, coming I'm up. I'm gonna on cut ten you years. off on the sidestep for a second. Right. But in Tarantino fashion, he would take a quick second and say, "We're fucking ten years, guy." Yeah. Come on. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. It's it. We're we're really fucking old. It's true. Yeah. Anyway, May eighteenth in the morning, hungover. We're all driving you right. to the airport, mm-hmm. Philadelphia International. You probably had like a seven hour delay just because. True. Uh, because that's how PHL works. Right. And you were flying to L.A. to begin your career in show business of some sort. Right. So walk me through how you got from there to Cheddar White House correspondent and now bureau chief. Right. (laughs) How did we get here? Bridge this gap for me. And I can walk in. I know there's some checkpoints. I don't know what happened. It's all blurred. No, I mean, look, I decided when I was at Villanova, I was 19 years old. And I said... I want to write for television. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a showrunner, a writer, and a producer, executive producer. Showrunner is kind of like the best of the business as well as the art. It's like the top visionary for a particular project. Right. I'm going to do that for television. Villanova didn't really have that, and Villanova's not known for churning out top showrunning talent by any means right. in the industry. <laughs> and so I, that's the kind of long way where I just kind of shrugged, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll be an English major because that's going to about get me as close as I wanted. And that's why I studied English. That's the only reason why. Right. Because I was like, well, I'm going to be writing and reading a shit ton for the rest of my life, so I might as well do it now. And kind of like, I'm just going to be an English major. Figure it out. <laughs> and people always say, what are you going to do with an English degree? And for me, it was always like, what can't I do? I could literally do whatever I want because... Um, I felt like the most important things I was taking from school had much less to do with what I learned in the classroom. And I felt like I would be empowered as a, as a you know, TV, aspiring TV writer in that regard. So uh, moving out to L.A., my emphasis had been a continuation of a lot of improv and sketch comedy, which I had already started well during my years at school. Mm-hmm. And so it was a programs with like UCB and Groundlings and Second City out in Los Angeles did that for about the first year and a half to two years, then came back to New York. Well, I want to pause yeah, you there. let's stop it there. Okay. Let's just stay. because Tarantino freeze frame. Yeah, yeah, we're going to freeze frame here for a second. You went out to L.A. Yeah. So t- talk me through this experience because, mind you, just to set the stage for the listeners, we graduated mm-hmm. in 09, if you didn't hear, final four year. <laughs> right. Right. Um, <laughs> heard. Yeah. But that was also right in the bottom of the economy. Yeah. And it was a tough time for everybody everywhere. Totally. Um, and so walk me through kind of like that experience of being out in L.A. and kind of having to kind of new town, new everything. Yeah. Probably not a whole lot of a support system out there. And what were some of the struggles, challenges, etc. that you went through while you were there? Ironically enough, there was a group of St. Joe's students. St. Joe's in Philly had a program to send recent graduates to Los Angeles. 
And I got to piggyback off with a bunch of them. I actually lived with a few of them for that first summer. And that's kind of your opening kind of post-graduation internships into the industry. Okay. Um, and that was kind of my goal. I had whatever little money I'd saved up for my on-campus jobs, chucked it out there and was like, I'm going to fucking figure it out. Yeah. I'm going to figure it out. And, of course, you're so wide-eyed and optimistic. And the reality is life looks nothing like the way you're going to plan it. Right. And it, it turned into such kind of a disaster for me at some points because of the economy and because of my lack of connections and relationship building and stability and, uh, you know, bounced around with whatever little jobs and odds and ends, pay the bills things I could find. Right. But it did give me those opportunities to, like, work on a desk as an assistant in uh, a management company. Okay. You know, that did screenwriting and script coverage okay. for, for films and television. Um, one of my early jobs out there was working for Tony and Ridley Scott, the Scott brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and working for their production company in West Hollywood, which is a lot of the same, like, script-related work for their TV shows they were doing. Um, which include the show Numbers and The Good Wife. You remember The Good Wife? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was one of the shows we worked on. And, you know, but to come across a job was incredibly tough, especially when you're like 21, 22, don't have a ton of experience out there. Right. And you may personally be a qualified, hireable candidate, but that doesn't mean you're going to be hired. And my understanding of L.A. is that even though California gets painted as the soft area, mm-hmm. L.A. is a tough town. It's not an easy no, town to No, very tough town. Right. Um and they, they used to say 10,000 kids a day are going to land here with dreams of making it in television or film. Right. And I don't know if that's the exact number, but when you see what it's really like out there and you're like, holy shit, yeah, this is tough. And people are talented and people are really good. And um, even just, you know, but I also learned a lot about just like, what's the audition world like? You know, what does it really take to go in and be considered a polished artist to try mm-hmm. and make it, to try and turn heads? And I was like, shit, man, I'm nowhere near that. I don't have any of that shit. So then became the long process of like headshots. What do I need for like professionally done headshots? And what do I need to do to pad a resume? And what do I need to do with with regards to like, this was kind of like still early-ish YouTube with regards to like viewable, clickable, shareable early YouTube content. Right. And just trying to figure out all these things. That's with everything else, man. It's still a thing I still do to this day. It's like take a bunch of shit, throw it against the wall, fail a hundred times and whatever little stuff sticks up on the wall that's probably pretty good enough to pursue to the next level Mm -hmm. so la was like just it felt like disaster after disaster i'll never forget one pa gig i worked i worked at the hollywood bowl uh which is like epic uh hollywood or uh, epic uh, music venue okay Okay, the base of the hollywood hills as you go down la sienica into hollywood boulevard and i worked this like amazing thing but i just worked as like a PA, which is like your lowest level production person. And I think for the whole like two-day gig, I probably got paid like $150. Got to hand a $150 check. Like hitting the fucking lottery. That was like the most money. That was like, holy shit, I got a fucking check for $150 for these two days of work. Just like hauling this camera gear and rolling up these, uh, these XLR cords. And just plugging in different things and working a couple audio things. And that to me, and those little things that sound so small, but at the moment when they're so big, those are the little momentum things that keep you going. And it's like, shit, man, well, all right, I did okay for right now. Right. But then became a never-ending process of like, well, you got to do, do that every couple, couple days. Yeah, but I, I couldn't. You know, right. I did it whenever I could. Right. Because um, cost of living is, not, is, is expensive. No, and I did not really have my own place to live. I did for a while crash with a Villanova alum. 
So let me give a shout out to Greg Andrusision, Villanova class of 2008, who was not up, working Greg? in the industry, but was, to you. but was working in LA. Right. And uh, had like a great spot in Santa Monica and was a total, just a total pal to be like, dude, just crash on the floor. You need a place to stay? Like, you got a roof. And I remember I stayed with Greg um, probably on and off for several months. I would like pop in and out. And then I remember I hit a point where he was so, he was the, he was just the best, man. I did Thanksgiving with he and his brother Nick and it was just, you know, it was a nice like Villanova kind of thing. And I remember I willingly stopped staying there because I viewed comfort as being the death of my progression. And I said, even though I'm on a floor and I'm sleeping on this like bad air mattress that Andrew Sissions got laying around, Greggy Boy's got. It was a favor. Yeah. And it just struck me as being like... Um, disingenuous? This dude's going to be my boy for the rest of my life. No, not disingenuous oh, okay, at all. Okay. He's, he's he, like, he, he's, you know, I will have his back till the day I die. No, I don't mean him being disingenuous. No, 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 not I at mean all. the experience. Yeah, but it was just, it was kind of like, ah, I didn't really earn this. Okay. I've always put that pressure on myself. I still do it. I deny myself things that the average person would say, why would you not do that? Like, you're in such a good position to enjoy right. those things. And it's like... Yeah, but there's always more I know I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was. And I remember when I had to go to Greg and just be like, dude, this is amazingly generous. I've had like a great few weeks here. I can no longer in good faith stay here. He's like, where are you going to go? And I was like, I don't know. But I just know this sense is like I can't be here. So there was a couple or many, I don't know, you tell me, nights that you laid up in your car. Many. 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 There was one particular street called Homewood in Hollywood. It's like on the edge of like K-Town, Hollywood. And I always stayed on that street because it was near a police station, so I was pretty close in case anything ever happened. But it was also dark, so there were no street lights. So that allowed me to kind of sleep in peace and have confidence that no one's going to like peer through the windows of the car to see that I was sleeping there. And then I was interning at Second City. I'd wake up. Um, I also had nights, probably should admit this, but I'm going to admit this, where I had the keys as the late night intern to Second City, and I let myself into Second City, this iconic improv theater, and sl- crashed on the green room couch. Wow. In the middle of the night when people didn't know. And as long as I had the front gate closed, people would pass by and not know that I was sneaking away up there. But you just like, those are like your little things of like, you bend the rules because you have to survive. And that's kind of like what that chapter taught me. And I did that for many, many years after I left LA in different forms. Not been, not like illegal, like the rule, law breaking, but like right, 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 those right. little things are like, should I do this? But you're like, I gotta fucking eat. I gotta like get gotta, to that you next thing. Eat, you gotta sleep. Yeah, I get you know? it. So that was that first chapter after school where you learn, as much as I learned about the industry, I learned 10 times more about myself. So you've had several different careers so to speak yeah so we'll kind of jump out of la mm-hmm. and move to new york yep um because that was your next stop but My next chapter yeah right to me it's very interesting i've had kind of two chapters there's more like one and one a sure um in my career right what's this philly in new york being an accountant right right same company same right. group in mm-hmm. the company Met my wife at work, yes. <laughs> right, and moved from one spot to another. Mm-hmm. So to me, this is like earth shattering. And I gar- and I would bet you that there's a fair amount of Villanovans who probably more relate to my experience sure. than than yours. But I think mm-hmm. that's why yours is so interesting. So yeah. tell me a little bit about now. Okay, so you've moved back out. You decided, yeah. okay, I've had enough of LA. Yeah, you've learned probably learned a ton. Amazingly, right? Uh, amazing amount. Yeah. And then you brought that back. Home, so yep. to speak. Yep. A prodigal son returned, so to speak. I went right to the People's Improv Theater, which had been my home for a long time before I went to L.A. The so pit. I went to Villanova, the pit here in New York. 
went to Ali Faranaki and the founder, former SNL writer, created his own comedy spot. And I had been in Ali's ear for the better part of a year saying, if you ever have a lowest level office theater, office assistant job, I was like, Ali, I'll sweep all your fucking floors every day. And I was like, I really need my basement. I need like, if you'd ever consider a job for like $350 a week, you know, if that, like, I'll figure it out. Right. Like, if you ever have something like that opened. And right around the time of my 23rd birthday, he just created a job for about that amount of money. And he required and demanded essentially like around-the-clock care of the space, but it didn't matter because he gave me a shot. And he gave me a shot to come back, gave me a shot to do then say, oh, shit, now I work at a theater where I could also, as you know, begin to build my own one-man show. Right. And now become a part of another, at a higher level, another community of artists where other people are also trying to work on their things and also develop original comedy content. And I could essentially work another place where Ali let us sleep on couches. Because that's what Ali did. He found artists who were like desperate enough to kind of work and in exchange be like, hey, if you're here late, you need to crash on the couch at Simple Studios or at the pit, you can do that if you're opening up the next morning. Right. So I take advantage of those little things that were allotted to me. And that was that next like remarkable chapter. So it gave me enough time. I eventually pivoted that into bartending because he opened up a bar. The same guy. So I had never I remember the bar bartended. Quite... I never bartended. You remember the bar? I remember the bar quite well. <laughs> and I'm sure there are times you don't remember the bar. Yes. There was one time in particular yes, where there was. you had to send a text message. I'm texting up somewhere Villanova Pounds being like, for the love of God, someone come pick up Bilotti because he is here. But the bartending <laughs> pivot, though, allowed me to just make uh, not a ton more money, but a sizable, a far more, uh, much more cash at the end of my week right. to support my artistry, to still support my ambitions, which had never changed, to be in television. So let's talk a little bit about that because you did a show, and the show was called... Stephen Colbert, Hire Me. Right. So at the time, <laughs> that, Stephen it, Col- It's as direct as it sounds. Yes. At the time, Stephen Colbert yeah. was still doing his old show. He wasn't the, the host of... Comedy the, Central, uh, right? Yeah, he was doing a show on Comedy Central... Mm-hmm. And he portrayed a conservative talk, uh, talk, conservative like a Fox News right. type show host, mm-hmm. and that was his angle. And right. it came on right after John Stewart and The mm-hmm. Daily Show, and the two of them back to back were just owning mm-hmm. late night television for totally. very very long. Totally. Um, and so you wanted to do that because you wanted to write for him. I really specifically wanted to write for Colbert. I wanted to write for any of the late night guys that would have right. me. But I'm still like 23 years old, right. which at the time I was like, yeah, but I'm good enough to do it. Now I'm 31. I look back and I was like, kid, you ain't no shit. Like this, <laughs> like, like for what it really, really takes to get inside those writers' rooms. But it's part of that, um, part of that kind of juvenile ignorance that kind of allows you to still kind of be like, oh, I got skin in the game. I'm here. Right. I'm playing ball. Right. Uh, so yeah, so I still use that opportunity. So basically, would bartend at night, first Friday of every month, seven o'clock, had my own one man show. Would pack the house pretty well. Would get pretty good guests. Like, definitely built a name for myself. Yeah, you had one guest that was no unforgettable. The rent is too damn high, guy. The rent is too damn high. What's, his, what's that guy's name? Jimmy McMillan. Jimmy Mack. Jimmy Mack. Jimmy McMillan. So this is great because anyone who is anywhere close to New York City politics right. back in, what was it, 2011? It was probably 2011, 2012, 2012 now. Somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a guy running for mayor. Right. And his whole platform was the rent is too damn high. Totally bonkers. <laughs> this dude just so like. So what was it like? To, how'd you even get this guy? Uh, this is like one of those early learned lessons. Just like 
ask and ask and ask and keep begging. And I already had show clips that I sent to like some assistant of his and was like, what does Jimmy need to come on the show? And I remember I had to pay for his car service. He lived in Brooklyn. Right. So I paid like 200 bucks or something that I had from a previous show's <laughs> in keep, you know, show money that I made. I put it right back into getting Jimmy Mack. And um, but that was great because that show got a lot more people to see the show for the first time. Oh, yeah, you're paying for advertising. For 100%. Right. And so it was beyond worth it. Now, the learned lessons are, as you may remember, and maybe no one remembers except for me, I got fucking steamrolled in this interview. This he's the he was like the Donald Trump before Trump was like. I mean, this guy ran. This guy talked 120 words a minute and like never let me get a word in edgewise. But I realized with time, like that's my fault. That's my inexperience as an interviewer. And I was a kid. I did not know how to handle or control Jimmy Mack. Right. And he completely stole the show. And I remember one note that I got after from people who I really respected, people who had been doing this much longer, including current HQ host and my longtime very, very good friend, Scott Rogowski. Really? I had no idea I've known you were Scott friends for with Scott. Eons from this era. I and, talk about Scott like I know him. But like, no, but Scott, like, came, Scott was at that show, and I remember it was Scott who like sat me down after. was just like, dude, you're, you hit all the right spots, all your comedy bits, your chops are great. You had Scott and I already worked on projects together. Right. I've known Scott now for um, uh, probably seven or eight years. So you got to love seeing years. him doing everything with HQ. Oh, he's crushing. Yeah. I, I, you know, 100%. And last time I saw him was right after he was he was building HQ and he was like, Oh yeah, it's this thing called HQ. <laughs> and now he's like he's on he, now I walk into the Chase Bank and it's Scott's fucking face everywhere. But Scott's the man. Like right. no one's happier for Scott than like his dad Marty, who I know really well, and me. Like I'm so proud of him. He like, he deserves it beyond anything. He's an incredible person. But I remember Scott telling me after the show, being like, you know, you are the boss out there. This is your show. You are the person. People step into your arena. And you set the tone and you set the pace and you cut the guest off when the guest needs to shut up. And it was this higher level of confidence. Scott had hosted a show at the time called 12 Angry Mascots. So if anyone out there plays HQ and you ever run to Scott Rogowski, you ask him about 12 Angry Mascots that you heard on the, on the Full 40 podcast. <laughs> and it was a sports late night show that Scott hosted with my buddy Neil Janowitz. And so he's, he's a big Met fan, right? Huge. Oh, Scott? Yeah. Loves the Mets. Right, right, right. Loves the Mets, right. man. He always used that as like part of his like comedic thing of like, oh, I'm a poor Mets fan. Yeah. Um, and, but no, it was Scott that like taught me a lot of those lessons about being a really shrewd interviewer and about really having that kind of confidence in that space. And so his, his words and his, uh, he gave me a ton of guidance over many years that so, helped tremendously. So you're at the pit in Gramercy. You had some great mentors along the way. Yep. Um, you got some interesting, fun interviews. So then you take that. Yep. And what's next? So then, what's the next step? Because this is the fuzzy part for me. Where I don't know exactly how you wound right. up. You wound up at Mediaite, right? There's a big chapter in between. There's a big that. chapter in between that, yeah. and I know I. I just, what happened there? It was back to Los Angeles after several years of staying in New York and making my money bartending. I figured out bartending is gonna be the most lucrative thing I do as an artist while I work my side hustle, which is really my passion. And it probably, and it allowed you to do... Oh my God, it allowed me to essentially pick my schedule, work my hours, really only work three nights a week because I could work the highest volume nights a week, take home a ton of cash and pay the bills I needed to, to then do my own one-man show, to work on these other projects, to hit auditions, and to not have to be like, I only make $350. Okay, so aside from me deciding my 25th birthday was the pit was the pit bar was my bedroom right and, right what you and, did. and my and when you and when you bartended at pioneers uh, right. for my bachelor party mm -hmm. aside from those right what was the craziest thing that you saw happen as a bartender 
Oh my god, how long is this fucking podcast, guy? <laughs> Alright, can I tell you the one that just popped into my mind when yeah, you said it at the yeah, time? Yeah, there's one thing that pops in your head. The time I was dating this girl, and she was a part of the community, and her ex-boyfriend from California came in to visit friends of theirs, and apparently she told him that she and I were dating. He walks into the bar one night, he asks everybody who JD is, who's JD, who's this guy JD? He finds me, and he's waiting for his moment. He's just waiting. This dude, I'll never forget, he's wearing a fucking Anaheim Mighty Ducks jersey. Okay? Grown-ass man wearing a fucking hockey jersey on a Friday night. Okay? There's no hockey game. It's just what this fucking kid was doing. This kid walks in. His name was Luke. I'll never forget. And this kid Luke wearing his fucking ugly-ass Ducks jersey. He's waiting for me. He's, like, staring at me behind the bar. And he's like, I don't know what the fucking dude is. And at one point, I'm, like, waiting over by the door. And I just get fucking cold-cocked in the face. Holy shit. The hardest punch I've ever received. I had a black eye for almost 10 days. Holy some crap. degree. And I'm so caught off guard. I wear glasses. You know I've worn glasses for the last 12 years. Right. Because I can't see distance very well. And glasses break on the edge. The whole side cracks off. Punches me right here so hard. And he bolts out the door because it's right by the door. Oh, so he just hit and run. It's total hit and run. No, like, stand over me and, like, fight me. No. Kid's waiting for his opportunity, walks up, just bashes me in the head. Oh, what a bitch. And I'm a bar, and I'm, I'm dressed as the bartender, which is at right. the time with this red tie, remember, full black. So did you go down? Is the punch Oh, yeah. Uh, right down. Yeah. Um, kind of leaned over because I was kind of near the box office, I remember. And maybe four guys there run out the door, they start chasing him, they try and get him. But this kid was fast, I guess. They didn't catch him. It's <laughs> fast skill life. I was just like, and I'm in a total daze. I have no idea who hit me till after. It's on security footage the whole time. Okay. But that's just one of did these... Did you report it? Did he, get, did he get arrested? Oh, oh, I'll tell you what I did. Right. Okay? Um, the kid would not talk to me. Okay? So I spoke to the kid's father <laughs> in California. Right. And I remember distinctly having this conversation because it, it worked back to him that this kid was in trouble because, like, the, the, uh, you know, the owner at the place was like, do you want to press charges? Like, the whole night. And I said no, but I talked to the father... And I won't say I shamed him, but made it very clear, like, what type of person, what character do you have to have to go and do something like this? Are right. you out of your mind? And so what I made... It wasn't, the, just, it wasn't just that you, he was an ex, it was an ex? Was there any drama in between you and him? Like, no, I never saw, I had no idea who he was. Right, okay. But he knew who I was. Right. And... Uh, I remember what I made the. But what was it? Was there any like steal your girl type of thing or anything? Oh no, like exchange. He and I never talked. No, okay. okay. No, no, no. If that's what you're asking, like yeah. I had no conversations with him. He was just there waiting for me to right. fucking punch. And once he found out who I was, he was ready, set to go. Um, but the thing I made the. But I said to the father, he's like, "Well, what do we do here?" And I was like, "Here's what you could do. You could have the kid write a handwritten apology note to my owner, <laughs> Ali." Right. Okay? And I was like, accepting responsibility. And apologizing for the disturbance that he called caused in that Friday. Not to you, to the owner. Yeah, I was like, a totally fucking shame and put him on the spot. I was right. like, it better be fucking handwritten. Right. And better be fucking sincere. Was there a handwritten note? It was a fucking handwritten note that got sent to the door <laughs> of the People's Improv amazing. Theater. Like, did it, in the scheme of things, does it matter? No. But it was my sense to say to the father, first of all, are you kidding me right. that this is what your son did <laughs> to flow in New York to have the intention? And this is what I played on. I remember we talked about this. I was like... He was waiting. This is what he came here to do. Right. Which was what was wrong. And so he had to write a handwritten letter apologizing to the owner for the disturbance he caused in his bar on a Friday night. So you said it was the hardest hit you ever got, but you played hockey, right? 
Yeah, but I never like took a punch to the face playing hockey. You know, you like no, you, you never know. got into a no, hockey. I played hockey at Villanova. Right, you played. It's not a Villanova basketball thing, but it's right. you know a it's part a of my Villanova background. sports thing. It's Villanova sports thing. We're kind so, of there. So we're yeah, so we're both we'll back a little bit. Yeah. Tarantino. That that's where Tarantino does like yeah. a quick a quick dog a, a, a dog whistle or a wink at right. you know something else. Okay, so then you so that w- was the bartender. So then you wind up at Mediaite. I back wound in up New York. York. Well, first I went back to L.A., you right. may remember. Right, right, right. I was in L.A., and that was a really tough chapter, man. That was a chapter where, like, I went back there still with eyes on television, worked as an assistant. I was a Kumon teacher, you know, Kumon math and reading. Yes. Uh, I was a Kumon assistant. I taught so many. I tried to make money so many different ways. And then came back to New York, and then there, remember the Zog Sports chapter. Yes, you worked at Zog Sports. That's this a- became the first time when I came back and said, to pay my bills, I'm going to take a job job. Like right. the equivalent of a corporate job. Even though it wasn't a corporate job, it's a manager for Zog Sports, which is an incredible company. I have nothing but amazing things to say about the people there and the way they operate. It just was not for me personally. It was for everybody else. Everyone loved it. Like if you want to like work a sweet job and you have like an amazing corporate business background, that and you're a sports fan, there's no greater job in the world you can imagine. It was an incredible place. It just was not for me. Okay. And it took all my time, and after six months, I left the company, and I did the thing they tell you never to do, which is leave the company if you don't have something to go into. And I had nothing to go into, but I just knew in my heart of hearts I had to take that jump. And it meant unemployment for another nine or ten months, lived with my uncle in deep Brooklyn, uh, in Sheepshead Bay, and that was the era then where I realized, I was like, what's my weak link in my career? And it was always video and tech. I had never done tech. Right. So I bought myself a refurbished T3i camera, taught myself how to shoot manual, ISO, aperture, shutter speed, taught myself how to video edit, taught myself how to color correct. And I said, I'm a pretty good candidate for jobs, but there's a big weak link and I need to make that my strength. Taught taught myself how to shoot on green screens and how to edit on green screens and teaching myself how to do all those things made me a far better candidate. And then before Mediate, enter Scott Rogowski back again Scott's got a pilot to, uh, at the time it was, what network was it? True TV. They were doing Man on the Street style shows. Billy Eichner had a show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott had a pilot that never went to air called Talking by Surprise, where people would respond to like a Craigslist ad for a new roommate, but when you show up to see the roommate, you walk onto the set of a live late night show. <laughs> and the roommate you're interview who's meeting you is on the show, and the host is Scott Rogowski. There's a celebrity guest. There's a band and there's a live audience in the apartment and you walk in and you are surprised and you have no idea and Scott puts you on the show and you get interviewed. So that was a TV pilot that never went to air that I worked on. I was a writer for Scott. What, 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 why did it never go? Because the it vast, the vast majority was awesome, but the vast majority of pilots never see the light of day. Right, you right. know, we shot the pilot and uh, so I worked for that show called Talking by Surprise. Another shout out if you ever meet Scott Rogowski. Shout out Talking by Surprise. He'll, he'll go nuts. Um, worked with Scott on that for probably the end of a summer. And then Mediate was, this was now 2015. The major candidates were starting to declare. Trump had already declared. So the, the escalator trip. Right. Infamous. I still wasn't in politics. I love politics. Right, you've always loved politics. We always used always to talk politics, politics when we were younger. But in my but. years of like trying to write for Colbert as a comedy writer in politics, I just was so geared towards the actual political storyline. So Trump comes down the escalator, and you decide I got to fucking do this. Uh, I'm, I'm a couple, yeah, but more or less, like a couple months later, and like I had always wanted to write for this media, this website called Mediate.com. It was right. like for me, the dream was like 
man, if I could pay my bills as a writer, all my bills, pay everything. Right. Which now I'm like 27, 28, dude. Right. So I went a long time not doing that. But that to me was like the dream. Because and I know now, like if you can pay your bills, even if it's a little bit of money, but you could take care of all your shit doing that thing that you love, you've won. And Fair. if you're out there and you're listening, you do that, I stand and applaud you. And that was when Dan Abrams at Mediate, by that point, I had videos because I taught myself how to do all the tech stuff. I had original writing samples up on medium.com, which was a great publisher that allowed anyone to publish really well-presented pieces. I had an amazing portfolio of all stuff I had just done by myself. And Dan Abrams found me, spotted me. I had applied for three previous jobs at Mediate and never got a call. But then I applied for the role of senior editor. And that was the one that I got. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get the writing, the staff writing jobs, but I got essentially the editor to those writers. And Dan gave me the opportunity in September 2015, and I've been covering national politics since. And then, so, because you kind of parlayed that you did some writing for them. Yeah. And then you also appeared on TV for them. Yes, I created points. the, like, video broadcast wing of Mediate. But before, but I'd always been like an opinion columnist. The pieces are still all out there, but I was an opinion columnist covering the 2016 campaign, which was totally bonkers. And I covered breaking news and I covered culture pieces and, you know, it's a little bit of everything on a site like that. Very small, scrappy staff that at our height brought in 12 million unique readers a month, which is astronomical numbers. It's crazy. Astronomical for, especially for a site when people are like, how few people write for Mediate? I'm like, it's a handful of us, like maybe six at most. Hey, look, man, if anything that your career is, is being scrappy and grinding and grinding right. and grinding get you somewhere. Mm-hmm. They've tried to, yeah. Right. Um, and then Mediate, after the campaign, this new startup brought, you know, financial news network called Cheddar started booking me as a guest. So I was Mediate's J.D. Durkin doing Cheddar interviews about Trump, about news of the day. Mm-hmm. This was now after the election. Trump was in the transition period where he was tweeting about companies and like the stock would fucking tank. Remember yeah. those eras? Yeah, those, like, yeah, nuts, yeah. Where people still never knew. Like, cancel order on the uh, on the Boeing. Cancel the Boeing order. That was yeah. the Boeing era. And people yeah. were like, "This kid, he's not actually going to tweet when he's president though, right? <laughs> right? Like that was the, the big question. And that's kind of... Uh, and then after a handful of Cheddar appearances, Cheddar then came to me very aggressively and was just like... You're the guy we need. We want you to be a full-time anchor with us. And then you started in New York at the March 2017. On yeah. Wall Street and the and the New York Stock Exchange. Yep. Because that's where they yeah. cheddar broadcast from post-10 of the Stock Exchange. Right. And then and then so the last thing I asked ask you about is how did you get from there to D.C.? I was the only cheddar anchor who had covered politics for my work at Media. And I'd covered the campaign trail and I knew the players in primetime politics so well. And then they just started sending me to the White House like one day a week, every couple of weeks. But so you, so what I remember is, and, and mind you, my, as, it, as it is, when you're outside looking in, you just see kind of like your friends and like, you see the, you see the summation of the chapter. Right. Every single time. Mm-hmm. So what I remember is you got, you were contemplating this offer at Cheddar mm-hmm. and you were like, okay, I got to take, I got to take this. You didn't, didn't take much, didn't take long because it was a very, it was a good offer. Great. Right. Compared then, to, compared to the rest of my story now that you've heard it in greater detail. Yeah. yeah. Unimaginable. Like, I, I'll put it this way. Like, my mother and I bawling. Right. In tears. Like, yeah. I, my mother and I just, like, I cannot believe this is, this is what I just got offered. Like, astounding like fall on the floor crying in tears because this was such a, a validation of so much and you have a special connection with your mother too i was gonna go a different direction but i'll stop here for a second right. you have a special connection with your mother who's now also a villanova graduate she's a villanova graduate 
So she graduated this last year, 20, what year are we? 2018? 2018. 2018 from the Oh, no, she's got the trump card on you. Because she's got the 2018 graduates now. She's got a championship. She's one of these fancy grad classes now with a championship ring to her name. Uh, yeah, the uh, the master's uh, public administration program. She graduated from Villanova, so that's pretty cool. Now, has she has her fan? She's always been into it ever since you've been there. Oh, but yeah. but has her fandom and has her like interest like stepped up a notch? Oh, they watch the games. She and my stepfather watch the games every game. You know, he's probably he knows the schedule better than she does, but he he's into it because I am. Is she a fan of the pod? She, you know, I don't know if she's listened to the pod, but she asks about you and Rob in the podcast a ton. I can neither confirm nor deny whether she's listened. I don't know. I've fair. sent her links, so I don't want to miss, I just don't want to mischaracterize it. That's, that's the fair thing. We're going to call her a fan of the pod. Yeah, I should mischaracterize a fan of the pod. But she, uh, she, I remember her just being like, that is so cool that uh, now like Chris and Rob are doing something and like creating something and putting stuff out there the way you did. Right. But not in that sense of like, well, you did, you know what I mean? But like, I guess you. Like now they see of like what that content creation and like output is like. And she thought that was so cool because she always knew that the vast majority of Villanova people don't do something like create your own podcast from scratch. Right. So she's always known to give you so much credit for that. It's interesting. I mean, I don't know how much credit we deserve. It's kind of a crappy little podcast that we kind of ragtag put together. I'm going to spend four hours editing this myself. But you know what? <laughs> but, but, but so is everything, yeah. and that's what gets you to the next the next level. Uh, so, so game game recognize game game recognize you know what I'm game. Saying? So all right, so I, I took a, a side step. So as an outsider looking in, you get this you get this job at Cheddar, yeah. you're at the New York Stock Exchange, and then all of a sudden you're at DC, and then the next thing I know, you have a relationship with Anthony Scaramucci, the Mooch. Oh, Anthony's the man, yeah. <laughs> of course. So how did you even how did this even happen? Uh, I had no idea really what it meant to be a reporter. I didn't go to J school. I didn't go to, you know. Right. If you're in journalism school, you know 10 times more about this industry than I do. Right. I just, literally when I say I fell into it. And we have a friend who's in journalism. Who's like brilliant. And he teaches. Right. Like he teaches kids how to do this for a living. Shout out to Walter. Shout out to Walter. Walter reports. Uh, Being down there in Washington, you just, uh, it's a pressure cooker of the, what feels like the world's best reporters and journalists and all of the people that everyone recognizes called that home and you're in this incredible um this like this tight box of energy and these press scrums are just these like these gaggles of reporters and a subject and it's a free-for-all of questions and i just realized really on how competitive i am and even though this is not what i want to end up like i'm not going to be a journalist the rest of my career i'm not this has a shelf life for me okay i'm still going to be a showrunner for television. I just now have a far clearer gauge what those type of shows are going to be. Because right. I have this like incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to cover this lane. Right. I still don't know how At I got here. At, At this time. At this time. I still don't know how I got here, to be honest. like I don't know how it happened and pulled together. But no, but I mean, relationships with people like Anthony or Elizabeth Warren, who I interviewed not too long ago, which is an incredible um, interview we got to, I got to do. Um, you know, they come from just being in the world. And what you realize is like to get to people like that, there are so many people below the surface. There's so many deputy press secretaries and press assistants and chiefs of staff and uh, communications directors and press, you know, and those are the people you need to build relationships with in hopes of getting to that uh, senator, that member of the House of Representatives, that cabinet official. And so that's kind of how that pieced together. And then Anthony, I got to know during his tumultuous 11 days at the White House. <laughs> it's amazing that you were there at that time. I was there at that time. Right. As Anthony was like going nuts in his time there. <laughs> 
And then afterwards, we had Anthony on the show because I just you know shot him a note, and you know he's not shy about doing press. No, he doesn't seem like it. Not at all. And so he's he like, seems yeah, like a I'll great interviewer. He's a great interview. He's a great interview. Right. You know, people like that are. You know, my favorite style are like are are the New Yorkers. You know, are are the Jersey like Kellyanne Conway. Right. You know, makes for a great interview, and I will always want to talk to Kellyanne. You know, Anthony Scaramucci or Chris Cuomo or Rudy Giuliani. That's my style of interview because I fit that. You know, I'm from Jersey, like you know, you, you're from you Long get Island. That, you get that at a different level. You fit level. that thing, yeah, and yeah. it's different than meeting with a member of Congress who's from you right. know, somewhere way far away. Or rent is too damn high guy. Or rent is too damn high guy. It's <laughs> his own world. Um, so that's kind of how those relationships come about, and my my responsibility now is still to develop those relationships and increasingly lean on uh, sources and how to build my own original reporting. And I view my role now as leading this news organization down there, knowing I'm not going to do it forever, but I will forever be Cheddar's first person, first presence in Washington, D.C. And for however long Cheddar is around for, um, which this race is going to be a long time because they are increasingly, we are increasingly becoming bigger players in the game. Uh, you know, I think I'll always be at least a little proud that I was kind of the first one down there. I'm going to turn over the keys to someone at some point, and I know that the work I do every day is setting the company up for success. That's awesome. Hey, man, it's it's an incredible story. Your autobiography someday is going to be insane. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to be called, but uh, <laughs> you know, but this also includes like you know, not you know, my favorite moments also include like the time I snuck into the Oval Office and I got in trouble with the press shop because I was not supposed to be there. I don't know if you know this, but you're not supposed to sneak into the Oval Office. You're <laughs> I not. Wouldn't I just have guessed. I don't want to make sure listeners of your podcast understand this. If you ever happen to find yourself at the White House, don't sneak into the Oval Office when you're not supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah, wait, how is there not like someone stopping you from getting in there? I went in, there are set opportunities where members of the press go, but it's not all members of the press. It's what's called the in-town pool. Okay. Very specific and pre-chosen groups of reporters, photographers, and video journalists who are allowed in for an event. So if the president is meeting with South Korean President Moon, the two of them will meet in private or with advisors, and then members of the press will be allowed in. These are these quick, like, five, six-minute things you see where the president says, oh, we're great to be here, blah, blah, and maybe he'll take a few questions. Right. And I start at the White House, and I did not know the rules. There is no orientation to the White House. You sink or you fucking swim. Right. And I was committed to swimming. And so when I saw a group of reporters standing up to go somewhere, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go stand with that group. <laughs> Got myself in the Oval Office. And then on this particular day, this was uh, in September of last year, it was the president, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Kevin McCarthy, Paul Ryan, Mike Pence. And the debate was DACA, Dreamer recipients. Okay. And I shout a question at the president. I made eye contact with him. And it was about Congress's role in helping the dreamers. Right. And what do you hope Congress does? Okay. And he gave me this amazing answer where he kind of like shrugged and he kind of pointed at all the members of Congress sitting around him. And he was kind of like, it's on them. I hope they figure it out. I hope they fi-. And it was like the soundbite of the day that some reporter shouted a question and the president distanced himself and kind of said it's on Congress. Right. And a press aide very quickly realized I should not have been there. <laughs> And I got a sterner talking to and then sent on my way, knowing that people have lost credential access for doing something like that. You got but it was, it was literally that I had just started. I didn't know. Did you get Jim Acosta? I did not lose my heart pass. I did not get Jim no? Acosta. I did no? not. No, which is good. Interesting. Um, so, but, the, but, you know, but that's one of those moments where it's like, oh, I'm, I'll forever be thrilled that I snuck in there and asked President Trump a question like that. I stared, got an answer. Stared him down and got my answer, you know, because those are few and far between. 
That's so pretty cool. I bet, I bet regardless of pop, m- most people would think that that's absolutely awesome. Yeah, it's a good moment. Um, all right. So we're going on like an hour I'm sure. 20 plus Sorry. here. We, no, it's been great. Great. Before we wrap up, is there anything else, any fun Villanova tidbits, any fun career tidbits, anything else that you have that a listener to this podcast would want to hear? I've been doing a lot. A lot of, I'm now in a position where a lot of younger people reach out for advice a lot. Right. Um, I think there's an increased visibility I'm privileged enough to have, whether it's on Twitter or elsewhere. Uh, and that actually has included a handful of younger Villanovans who come through the documentary social justice program that I was one of the starters of. I was one of the first students to do it. Right. And it's developed and it's, it, has, um, it has encouraged a lot of people to pursue this. Um, and I tell them all a lot. And there's younger Villanova students who call me up and they want to make a few minutes on the phone with me. And I tell them, you know, don't, don't look around and don't compare yourself to what your other, your other colleagues from Villanova are doing. Don't. Don't do it. If you know that you want to do this thing, just go fucking do it. Right. And I tell them all the time, I said, I'm lucky enough that I had like an incredible group of friends who supported me. They drove me to the airport. They went to my show. They watched my video. They shared my clips. They shouted me out. And it became a great support system. But don't look around and be like, I got to like make the money that the Villanova School of Business kids make. Because you're not going to right away. And that's cool. And you got to be cool with that. Right. And when your parents and everyone tells you, like, why are you bartending? Why are you doing this other thing? Know that you are crazy enough to do it. And that would be what I say, especially for people who come from Villanova who think, I kind of want to do something that not a lot of other people here do. Mm-hmm. And you're cool. You're, you're going to be great at that thing. You just, you got to be relentless. You got to be a fucking honey badger about it. And whatever that thing is. And I encourage everyone listening, and don't lose those core Augustinian values because they mean a lot. And they set you apart in the, in the real world in a lot of real ways. So right. keep pursuing those things. That would be what I say. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. I'm going to cut it here. Yeah. It's, it's a full 40. It's now the full. <laughs> it's like this, this is like the six overtime game. You got all, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Syracuse, UConn, six late overtime. Late in the night. Um, but I want to thank everyone for listening. I want a special thank you to J.D. Durkin, at Jive Durkin on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for having me, man. Really yeah. great to do this. And shouts also to Cheddar at Cheddar. You, um, you can check them out. Twitter, Instagram, DirecTV, yeah, all over the man. internet, Hulu, Roku, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so shouts to all of that. Um, definitely check them out. Thank you for listening. Uh, again, this is Chris from uh, The Full 40 with Chris and Rob. And as always, let's go Nova.